It's good to have some of our first service folks into second service, and uh, yeah, great, great. Glad that we have our ladies most of the time, I mean all the time except for this one Sunday, but uh, uh, this one service deal is not a bad thought either. If you need a Bible this morning, we'll invite you to raise your hand where you can uh, let us put a Bible in your hands because you're going to want to have your Bible this morning. There's a note page in your bulletin as well. You can grab that, and that will uh, give you a little bit of direction, a little structure for our time together. Lord, speak what is true. That was what we just sang a moment ago. May it be so. Well, as we mentioned, we... uh, we have the absence this morning of 45 of our IBC ladies, and they're, they're off at their uh, weekend women's retreat. Really glad that they could do that together. But that has obviously left a, a noticeable impact. We miss our ladies, and none of us in this room miss them more than the dads who have childcare duties since Friday night. And uh, they are, you know, if, if there's nothing else beneficial that came out of the women's retreat weekend, it would be that the dads of the littlest children would have a renewed appreciation for all that the moms do. Yeah, yeah. Amen. Yeah, the hearty amen. Well, since we have this, this noticeable absence of, of, you know, 45 of our, our ladies, and our numbers are whether, I, I don't know if I would, be able to glean that from just looking out upon the, the audience here this morning. But, but with our, our numbers weighted, at least I anticipated that they would be weighted um, on the male side of the scale, I thought this would be a great morning to allow God's word to speak in a more focused way to um, the men of our, of our church family, specifically to husbands and to husbands-to-be. So some of our young men as well. And ladies, I certainly do not object if you eavesdrop on the moments that we're about to share together. Um, I welcome that thought, and I am very confident that what I am about to share uh, with the guys of our church family, you are going to heartily approve of it. So uh, no doubt about that. But uh, on this uh, somewhat unusual day, uh, the guys are in our sights. And so I'm going to invite you to take your Bible, if you wouldn't mind. Join me in the New Testament book of Ephesians. Ephesians today, and chapter 5 is where we'll land together. We're going to hang out with an amazing portion of Holy Spirit-inspired truth that is at one and the same time wonderful, but also overwhelming. It's exciting, but it is convicting. Infinitely beneficial if we can obey it, but seemingly impossible to obey consistently. Our focus is going to center on verses 25 to 33 of chapter 5. These verses are actually part of a larger section of Paul's letter to the first century church in Ephesus, which is in modern-day Turkey. And he is in this section talking about relationships. He's going to touch on the marriage relationship for a part of that time. He'll focus on the parent-child relationship in this section and on vocational relationships between bosses and workers. And that's all going to be in this section. We're going to be in that part of the, this relationship-focused uh, portion of the letter that's going to focus on marriage and couples. And it's actually verses 22 to 33, but we're going to devote our attention to verses 25 and following. And here's how it reads 
If you'll just follow along in your Bible, I'm going to read out of the ESV uh, here this morning. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we're members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. We'll stop right there. For a few moments, let's explore what it means to love our mates, guys, as Jesus loves his church. And as we do this, Holy Spirit, affirm in our hearts those things that we are doing right as husbands. Convict us where we may be falling short. Bring to light the truth that we so desperately need to possess. And may our wills be submitted as we apply your word to our lives. Amen, guys? And amen. Many years ago, the Saturday Evening Post, which is a magazine that isn't published anymore, it ran a little piece entitled, The Seven Ages of the Married Cold. And it chronicles the reaction of a husband to his wife's colds during the first seven years of their marriage. And here's how it goes. You already know where this is headed, don't you? In the first year, he says, when she gets a cold, sugar dumpling, I'm really worried about my baby. You've got a bad sniffle, and there's no telling where these things will go, especially with all the strep strep throat that's around. I'm putting you in the hospital this afternoon for a general checkup and some good rest. And I know the food is lousy there, but I'll be bringing your meals in from Rossini's every day. I've already got it all arranged with the floor superintendent. Second year. Listen, darling, I don't like the sound of that cough. I called Doc Miller and asked him to rush right over. Now you go to bed without protesting. If not for you, then for me. (laughs) The third year. Maybe you'd better lie down, honey. Nothing like a little rest when you feel lousy. I'll bring you something to eat. Have we got any canned soup? Fourth year. Now look, dear, be sensible. After you've bathed the kids and washed the dishes... (laughs) You should lie down. (laughs) Fifth year, did you take some aspirin? Sixth year, can't you gargle or something? With that cough, I'll never get any sleep. And in the seventh year, I'm going to stay in the spare bedroom. The last thing I need is pneumonia. (laughs) The decline of marriage attentiveness, loving care as seen through a, a common cold. It's a humorous look at a not-so-funny reality in many a marriage relationship. We just kind of fall off in the way we care for one another in a marriage. In fact, some time back, somebody in our church family sent me via an email some pictures. These were pictures of guys who did not win the Husband of the Year Award, and that was literally the heading over these pictures that were sent by, by one of you. So let's put those up on the screen. 
Okay. Guys that did not win, husband of the year. Jeremy, the next one. Yeah. Okay, we could know why he's not there. <laughs> Look at that guy. <laughs> and then this one. Sleeping with his mountain bike. No, that's not me doing that, okay? Church family, no one needs to tell any of us that we're living in a time when the family, the home, and marriage face tremendous pressures to, to remain intact and to remain healthy and God-honoring. Just to give you a few examples, a major secular news magazine ran an article entitled Wedding Bands Made of Steel. The article was an examination of some of the ideas that are being considered to keep marriages and families together in this age when marriages just are exploding all the time. Um, I quote from the article, Divorce is as American as apple pie, in perfect keeping with the nation that was born out of broken ties and a belief in fresh starts. That's a sad statement, isn't it? The article then relates many proposals that would perhaps reduce uh, family breakup rates, perhaps the most innovative being a proposal to have a, in our country a two-tiered marriage system in which couples have to decide before they get married whether they want a marriage of compatibility or a marriage of commitment. Get that. A marriage of compatibility or a marriage of commitment. Divorce would be far more difficult to get if you chose a marriage of commitment. The thought being that if you took a more serious look before you got married, maybe you would not move in those directions. And I just scratch my head and have to wonder why get married at all if it's not going to be a marriage of commitment, right? I mean, why bother? Also revealing is this statistic. Today in the United States, half of all marriages are marriages in which one or both partners have been married before. Another way to say that, 50% of all marriages are actually remarriages in our country today. And, and here's a startling number, 83,500. Why is that a startling number? Well, that's the number of children each month in the United States who experience the divorce of their parents. 83,500. That's more than a million children a year who watch their moms and dads call it quits. Such statistics are, are rather cold and, and unfeeling. What they don't reveal is the immeasurable heartache and the pain, the fear, the deep insecurities that are created, the loneliness, the tears that permeate the lives of those who, who walk this ground. And yet with an air of casual flippancy, a major magazine can say broken relationships meant to last a lifetime are now as American as apple pie. That's a sad commentary on our time. And so men, brothers, husbands, will our homes, will our families be added to these Statistics, this, this mountain of hurt, will our children join the ranks of, of the 83,500 a month? Will our relationships with, our wi with the wife of our youth slide into that dark place where separation or divorce are viewed as the best or only option? Will that be our story? 
Mm, may it never be. Yes, amen to that, Alan. Ephesians 5.25. Husbands, love your wives. How? As Christ loved the church. Husbands, love your wife just as Jesus loves his church. Husbands, love her like Jesus loves. Guys, with this single, infinitely high command and the directives that follow it, the Holy Spirit faithfully supplies us with what we need to avoid answering yes to any of those questions that I just posed to us. God is saying to us, do this. Love your wife as my son loves the church. And neither you nor your wife nor your children need to be among those sorrowful statistics that are so common to our time. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. We read such words and our first inclination as guys is to say, impossible, impossible. I can't do that. How, how in the world can I possibly do what this verse is asking? Who can love like Jesus loves? And the answer, of course, is no one can love like Jesus loves, right? But guys, verse 25 is not asking us to love to the same degree or with the same capacity or the same consistency with which Jesus loves his church because that truly is impossible, But we can love and are commanded here to love in kind to the way that Jesus loves his church. Now, what does that mean, to to love in kind? Well, it just means this. We are not looking to love our mates to the same degree as Jesus loves, but in the same way that he loves We can love with the same kind of love that Jesus loves with. A love marked by the same qualities, the same characteristics. Our love won't be to the same degree. It won't be to the same capacity. It won't be marked by the same consistency as as Jesus' love, for his is a perfect love. But our love can share in some small measure the qualities that mark the love of Jesus for his church. Let me say it another way. We cannot be the Pacific Ocean, right? (laughs) We simply can't be that. But we can hold a small portion of the Pacific Ocean with all of its qualities in our arms in a bucket, right? Can't be the ocean, but we can hold a portion of it. And that is really what the Holy Spirit is saying to us here through Paul's pen. We cannot love like Jesus loves in terms of extent or, or, or quantity or degree, But we can love our wives in kind with the same qualities of love that Jesus loves his church with. So let's take a closer look, guys, this morning. Ladies, you can listen in at how Jesus loves. And then we'll make some practical connections for our own marriage relationships. First, verse 25, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and did what? Gave himself up for her. How does Jesus love his church? With a sacrificial love, doesn't he? With a sacrificial love. With a self-sacrificing love. He loves his church enough to leave the glories of heaven, according to Philippians chapter 2. To put on flesh and come, come live in our world with us, according to John 1.14. 
He loves us enough to live in a sin-filled world, though he himself is without sin, Hebrews 4.15. He loves us enough to become poor so that we might become spiritually rich, 2 Corinthians 8.9. And though he is sinless, he's ready to wear the crown of thorns, bear the cat of nine tails on his back, be spit upon, beaten, mocked, and humiliated. He loves you and me, the church, so much that he carries a cross to a hill outside of Jerusalem, is impaled on that cross, and is lifted up for all to see. And there he is abandoned by his Father in heaven. According to 2 Corinthians 5.21, he becomes sin for us and gives us in exchange for our sin his righteousness. How much does he love us? He loves us enough to die for us. A self-sacrificing love. Can we love to that extent? Can we love to that degree? Of course not. Never. That's a -a one-of-a-kind love. But but we can love our wives in kind. Guys, with with the sacrificial heart that Jesus loves his church with. A kind of love that puts self and self's promotion and self's advancement and self's interests secondary to those of our wives. And that is the call upon us here. The Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul penned the single greatest written description of love. You know this out of 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And in verse 5 we are told there that love is not self-seeking. True love seeks not itself nor its cause. Brothers, in Jesus. Husbands, as long as we make the first priority in our marriage relationship what we can get out of it, we will never begin to approach the heart of verse 25. Are you agreed with me? It'll never happen. And let me just add this as well, since it's bound to be a thought that will cross some of our minds. Sacrificial love is not given on the basis of whether it is deserved or not true i'll remind us that when jesus died for the world when god loved the world according to john 3:16 and gave his only son for it the world did not deserve that love right it didn't deserve that sacrifice the world and all of its inhabitants which includes you and me deserved hell and God's righteous wrath because of our sin and our rebellion. Romans 5.8 puts it like this. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Did we deserve the kind of love that the Father has lavished on us? Of course not. In our sinful fallenness, we are naturally bent, I believe, to love on the basis of worthiness or attractiveness or merit. We just kind of go to those places because we possess a sin nature. We give our attention and pour out our affection upon that which we deem worthy. Jesus loves in verse 25 in a very different way. His love is not directed to what is worthy, but what is unworthy, right? His love is directed towards us while we were still sinners. Husbands, love your wives in kind. She's a sinner. She's not perfect. She's never going to do it perfectly all the time. She's not super relational, okay? She's too verbal, okay? She's not touchy enough, all right? 
She's not a, a great cook. Okay. She's not our culture's definition of a knockout. Maybe not. She may stumble over finances. Yes. Or not meet some other expectation that we have. Our love or the degree or depth of our love for her is not driven by any of that stuff. Agreed? Because our love is not given out on the basis of merit. It's a self-giving, self-sacrificing love that is given even when it is not deserved. Why? Because that is how Jesus loves. And we are to love in that kind of way. So we'll just ask the question, guys, when was the last time we sacrificed for our wives? And all of you guys with kids since Friday night are saying, I've been doing it all weekend, buddy. (laughs) And that would be true. You gave your wife the gift of that. Good for you. When was the last time that we each had a desire and a want and we sacrificed our want for her? Couldn't have both, so we, we gave up our want for her sake. When did we last lay aside our dreams so that she might realize a dream? When did we meet a need for her that we did not have and we really didn't feel like meeting, but we did it because that's what love does. If we're going to love like Jesus loves his church, we must come at some point to the place of death, guys. Sacrifice of self, the death of self, our, our, our giving up for her sake. That's sacrificial love. That's what Jesus does for us. But there's more to Jesus' love than that. His love isn't just sacrificial. It is also what kind of a love? Well, it's a purifying love, isn't it? Look with me again. Verse 25 and following. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Verse 26. That he might, what's the next word? Sanctify her having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. Oh, man, church family and men, husbands in particular, so revealing in these words is this truth. Whatever Jesus loves, he wants to make pure. He wants to purify it. He does not know how to love with anything other than an intense desire to see the object of his love made pure. He would never defile in any way what he loves or ask what he loves in some way to defile itself. In verse 26, we're told Jesus died to sanctify his church. That word sanctify, you know what that word means? It's a little Greek word that means to set apart as special, as pure, as holy as clean. In Colossians 2.13, we're told that when Jesus died for the church, he forgave all of her sins. He paid for all of them himself, and he made the church clean. All sin, past, present, future, dealt with by Jesus at the cross. We're made holy and pure by him when we put our faith in his death and resurrection. But even so, as we live as a Christian, we still sin, right? Even though we've been made clean, we still sin, we still rebel, we still disobey. We exercise our own will contrary to what we know to be the will of God. We do that even though we know Jesus. And though he has paid our sin debt, we do that. 
And for that, Jesus also makes provision in 1 John 1, 9. We are told that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. All of those daily things that we do that break his heart. So in Jesus, we have total and complete positional standing, a positional standing of purity with a, before a holy God, and we have a practical daily opportunity to be pure. Why? Because out of his love for his church, Jesus seeks to purify us. So what about us, husbands? In our relationship with our wives, does, does our love for our wives possess this feature, this desire? You see, guys, when you and I married this special lady that is our, our bride, we essentially took her out of the greater world at large and we, we set her apart. We sanctified her as distinct and special from every other woman in the world. We took her out of the human pool. She's now part of our world. And, and, and we were also setting ourselves apart to her alone. We were sanctifying ourselves for her sake. Just as D Jesus does for his church. Our wives were whereby our love and our marriage brought into a relationship of distinction and separateness. As such, our desire with Jesus as our example then becomes an all-out commitment to prevent her defilement. And the intent is much broader here than just a moral defilement. It includes a desire to help her in whatever way we can and in whatever way is possible to preserve purity in her life. Are you hearing me, guys? We will take intense interest in what our mates watch, what they read, how they spend their time, what relationships they enter into. That will be important to us. Not for the purpose of controlling them or manipulating or judging our mates or forcing them to live in some kind of a legalistic box of our own making, but out of a passion for their purity, we will seek to protect them and promote them and help them in this thing called the beautiful holiness of a godly woman. When our kids do something that we know is not good for them or is dangerous or is life-threatening, we'll intervene, right? We don't even hesitate. We do that. Why do we do that? We, we love them, right? We love them. Would we not do the same thing for the mother of our children? And from the same motivation, anything that was a threat to her, we would step in, we would intervene, we would protect. From the same motivation, we love her. The love that Jesus loves with and the love we are to express in kind always seeks to purify. Anytime we put our wives in a situation or we, normally, nor, we, we knowingly permit a situation to continue that promotes sin in her life or, or provokes sinful actions from her, when, we, when that happens, guys, we're failing to love like Jesus loves. And while I'm here, just a, a quick note to the young guys and the, the gals uh, in our church family who are not married yet. Gals, if you're of dating age this morning and you're really interested in some guy and he's interested in you and he tells you that he loves you and that he wants to show you his love sexually, you must know right now right now 
that this young man hasn't got a clue about what real love is. Not a clue. He is selfish. And I say that boldly because true love always seeks purity. It only wants purity. Young men and not so young men, if a gal is leading you in this direction or you are leading her, be honest with yourself and be honest with her. This is not love. This is lust. Yes? Have enough integrity to call it what it is. This is my sin nature selfishly seeking its own satisfaction. This is not love. Hebrews 13.4 Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. Pure, right? Same word. Why? Because real love is always going to be a purifying love. Because that's how Jesus loves his church. Well, then verses 28, 29, and 30 come. And and that's a third quality of Jesus-like love for our mates. It reads like this, verse 28. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Interesting. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. What's the third quality of Christ-like love for our mates? A caring, cherishing love, yes? Jesus loves in a sacrificial way, a purifying way, and in a caring, nurturing way. This is what comes out here in this part of the of the. The passage, verse 30 says that the church is actually part of Jesus' body. An interesting thought. Might sound a bit odd if you're new to the Christian faith, but all that's really being told to us here is that there is a mystical, spiritual union that exists between the Son of God and His church. Right now, between Jesus and between you, there is a mystical union of oneness. The Holy Spirit is giving us a word picture and And this one that we we find in Scripture here represents Jesus uh, as the head who governs and controls the body. And we are the the body. That's the word picture. Because the church is Jesus' body in this spiritual way, verse 29 says that Jesus nourishes and he cares for it as if it was his own physical body. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church. The word nourish there in verse 29. It's a little Greek word that means to feed. In fact, your translation may even render the word exactly that way, feed. It's a word that was primarily used in reference to bringing up kids. Parents nourished their children. They fed them. They, 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 they matured them. They grew them up. Jesus does that with his church. Because he loves her. He provides the Holy Spirit. He gives the word of God to us. He gives gifted leaders to our church to equip us and to help us. He does all of that. He feeds us because he loves us. When he does that, he's feeding the body, his body. And the word cherish in verse 29, nourishes and cherishes. It's a word that means to soften or to warm with body heat. It's the same word that's used in Scripture to describe a mother bird. 
as, as she sits on her nest and her body provides protection and warmth and security for her baby birds. I just love that picture. Isn't that a great picture? Well, but that's, a, that's a picture of Jesus and his church, if you, can make the, if you can make the leap. We're being told that Jesus loves the church this way. In a, in a very tender picture, uh, Jesus is feeling this way towards us. In fact, you may remember during the final week before Jesus goes to the cross, he looks over Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives and he, he weeps over the city. And do you remember what he says? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I longed to gather your children together as a mother hen gathers her chicks under her wing and you would not have it. Remember that? It was the ache of his heart. This is how he cares for his church because he loves it. Husbands, if, if we love in kind as Jesus loves, we are to nurture our wives and to cherish them, provide for them, care for them, grow them, and help them mature. Care for them like we would care for ourselves, our own physical bodies, our own emotions, our own spiritual well-being. And here's why. Because just as the Lord Jesus and his church are bound together in this mystical union where the two are one, the church is Jesus' body and Jesus is the head, so too in marriage we are joined in a mystical union to that woman. We are one. And we need to take care of that because in doing that we take care of ourselves. In the same way, guys, that we would not seek to purposely damage our own physical bodies, we're to seek to take the same care with our one marriage body, with our wife. For it's us. She is us. It's in our best interest to really care well for her emotionally, physically, spiritually. What does that look like? Well, it's, it's the thoughtful gift that's unexpected. It's the notes. It's the post-it note on the mirror in the morning. Honey, I love you. Just want you to know. That's it. It's date nights. It's verbal affirmations. It's non-sexual touches. It's it's a thousand and one small things that say, I cherish this life, this relationship with you. I don't take it for granted. I am deliberately and I am thoughtfully building into our relationship. Because when I cherish you, I am cherishing me too. Because we are one, right? We're one. That's how Jesus loves us, and we are to love in the same way. And then Paul wraps his marriage focus up with these words that, that hint at a fourth quality of Jesus-like love. Verse 31, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she represents her husband. So what is the fourth quality of a love like Jesus loves with? Well, it's going to be an enduring, unbreakable, permanent kind of love. Agreed? That really comes out of verse 31, which is nothing more than a quote of Genesis 2.24. I have that engraved on the inside of my wedding ring. Lisa did that. Put that verse in my wedding ring. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast 
to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh. For this reason. For what reason? Because of the profound mystical union that occurs between a husband and wife, God says in marriage we become one person, two lives commingled into one new entity. For this reason, God says, you break ties with your families and you enter into this one new distinct identity. This man, this woman leave their homes and they become one in marriage. And the words hold fast in verse 31 mean to be glued together. Two people leave one thing and they're glued together to become something brand new that's never existed before. A new relationship of husband and wife and it is permanent and it is unbreakable. This says the Holy Spirit is how Jesus is united to his church. It is an unbreakable, permanent union. It will last forever. And if there is one truth in Scripture that you and I this morning are hanging on, even though we might not think about it very much, it is this truth, that Jesus loves us and we are going to spend forever with him. That's permanent, isn't it? In 1 Thessalonians 4, where Paul is speaking of the return of Jesus for his church, a time that we refer to as the rapture, 1 Thessalonians 4.17 says, We will meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with the Lord forever. On the eve of the cross, Jesus will say in John 14.3, I go to prepare a place for you, and I will come back, and I will take you to be with me, that you may also be where I am. For how long? Forever. Heaven with Jesus forever. Permanent, enduring, unbreakable love relationship. That, that's Jesus. Sold out completely and forever to us. Brothers and sisters, did you hear what I just said? I know you heard the thunder. <laughs> did you hear what I just said? Jesus, yes, that was the exclamation point. Jesus sold out completely to you and to me forever. And that creates such a security for us. Our love for Jesus and our love for the Father flourishes in this this rich atmosphere of safety and permanence and security. We know that we will never be abandoned. He will never bail on us, ever. He loves us too much. And so is this, men, husbands, husbands husbands-to-be, Is this our perspective, our conviction on our marriages, guys? Because this commitment to an enduring, unbreakable love is what allows security and safety and more love to flourish. Is this how we love? Well, hopefully, fellow husbands, others are going to look at our marriage and they're going to see in it the love that Jesus has for his church because that's the goal. Verse 32 This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. When our marriages reflect sacrifice, passion for purity, a devotion to care, and permanence, we, through that mystical union of two people coming together and becoming one in the atmosphere of married love, we display for all the world the incredible love of Jesus. And those who do not know Jesus yet, 
get to see what a marriage centered on him looks like. May ours be those kinds of marriages. Amen? Amen. Ladies, are you glad you listened in? You have been elbowing your husband. Let's pray together. Well, it's, it's what we've talked about we could never, ever do. Alone in our own strength, Heavenly Father, Lord Jesus, Holy Spirit. We cannot be these kinds of husbands uh, that are mentioned and described here in the person of Jesus' example. It'll never happen. But you can make it happen. As we yield to you, we yield to your spirit, we yield to your word. We grow in our relationship with you. You can make this, this kind of love a reality in our homes, in our relationships with our mates or our mates-to-be. Help us as men to love our wives like Jesus loves his church. Not only would that be great for us, but it will bring glory to you. Thank you for loving us so much, Lord Jesus. Now we get a chance to even express that in another beautiful way. We'll say thanks in Christ's name. Amen and amen.